Welcome to Emerging Tech Horizons. I'm Dr. Mark Lewis. I'm the Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about blended wing body aircraft and more energy efficient aircraft options, uh, particularly for the Department of Defense. And joining me for that conversation is Dr. Faye Collier, who is currently the Associate Director for Flight Strategy in the Integrated Aviation Systems Program at NASA. And, and I want to highlight that one of the fun parts about this conversation is, of course, Faye is, is, works at NASA, but he's, he's also working with the Department of Defense. It's a great example of, of interagency uh, uh, cooperation and, and incredible support that NASA is providing for the Department of Defense. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, before uh, becoming the Associate Director for Flight Strategy, Faye was the Project Manager of the Environmentally Responsible Aviation Project, uh, part of the Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate at NASA. Um, it's, it's the first A in NASA, as those of us who love, love airplanes like to say. Um, and that really directed the planning execution of NASA's integrated system research project, which really focused on subsonic, on the subsonic transport sector, uh, included working in partnership with industry, the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory, and some other government agencies. Um, phase work includes development, integration of engine airframe technologies that would enable dramatic improvements in such things as noise, emissions, and overall performance characteristics for future subsonic aircraft operating in the air transportation system. And as the conversation evolves, I think you'll see the direct relevance to some of the DOD missions. Um, my background, uh, Faye is a graduate of uh, Virginia Tech, PhD in 1988. He also went, went to that same technical institute up on the Charles River in Boston that I attended, MIT, where he got an MBA in 1997. Uh, and, and in that role, he was, he was a NASA Sloan Fellow. Uh, Faye serves on numerous committees for NASA, including the JPDO's Environmental Working Group. He's on the Air Force Research Lab's Fixed Wing Executive Council. Again, great example of, of NASA Air Force cooperation. Uh, has been a contributor uh, on many national efforts, including we got to work together on the development of the National Research and Development Plan for Aeronautics that was uh, spearheaded by OSTP a number of years ago and set, a, set this blueprint out for, for research that I think the, the country is actually paid pretty close attention to. It was a nice blueprint for where we needed to go in, in, for the future of aeronautics. Um, Faye is an advisor to works with many students across the country. He's very active in the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, an organization I, I've spent a lot of time with as well. And, and so, so join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Faye Collier to, to today's podcast. Yeah, thank you, Mark. That's, that, that was a kind introduction. So, so Faye, I, I kind of want to start off. Tell us a little bit about about blended wing body concepts. Um, for you know, our our listeners may not be as familiar with with the idea. And tell us what they are and and and, and what advantages they might have have, uh, particularly for the Department of Defense. Yeah, thank, thanks, Mark. Um, well, uh, typically uh, we, we all travel, so uh, we travel in what I what I call affectionately tube and wing airplanes. And we've been doing that for, for a long, long time. And what, what a blended wing body style aircraft will do is it'll take that fuselage that we sit in and it'll, it'll blend it in a nice smooth way with the wings, uh, providing a, a better lift distribution from tip to tip. So that has some, that has some other advantages as well. Um, we're able to, by, by blending the fuselage, and the wings, we're, we're able to reduce the overall wetted area of the configuration. And by reducing wetted area, of course, we, we reduce the drag of the airplane. So we have a nice bump and lift, and we have a nice reduction in drag. And, and that provides an efficiency gain for the aircraft itself compared to traditional tube and wing of about 
15 to 30 percent, depending upon, you know, what you compare it to, of course. So older technology, bigger aerodynamic efficiency gain, modern day technology, closer to like 15 percent aero gain. You know, back in the 80s, we're still flying aircraft, you know, that were designed and built in the 80s. Maybe you might expect a 30 percent gain. So um, for um, the the U.S. military and the DOD and the Air Force, uh, we're looking at the blended wing body for uh, potential missions out in the future. Uh, they could be tanker, they could be cargo, um, any number of missions where uh, extended range, uh, going further, burning less gas, delivering more payload would be needed. Yeah, I, I guess for our listeners uh, who aren't as familiar, of course, lift over drag ratio translates directly to range. So it does. Yes. Yeah. You, you look at the Berger range equation. I don't. I don't mean yeah. to get too technical here, but no, that's okay. We yeah, got a technical it, audience. It, it has three factors, and um, L over D at cruise is one of the factors. And of course, if you can increase L over D at cruise, which blended wing body promises to do. Um, you, you get a direct impact on range uh, by the same amount or the same increase, um, and so so that's a, it's a powerful um, uh, concept. And uh, there's probably been thirty or thirty-five years of, of research that that have gone into it, and so it's we think it's primed and ready for a a, a large demonstration, and that's essentially what um, the DoD is interested in. So tell us a little bit about the history, because, of course, you know, there was the, the classic Northrop flying wing. Uh, yes. The B-2 bomber is a flying wing. Um, you know, there was, uh, uh, our, our mutual friend Bob Liebeck has, has done work on, on blended wing bodies for, for, for decades now. So yeah. can you take us back. Tell us, tell us how the concept has, has, has evolved. Well, I mean, um, you know, that, that's a really important question. And, and to take it back to its origins, I go back to um, – uh, where where I saw the first sketch of the blended wing body was in a memo capturing some lessons from uh, an NRC exercise. The memo came from Douglas Aircraft. It was addressed to Langley Research Center, uh, sketching out um, at that point in time uh, items for for thought to uh, you know in, increase uh, capability both on the commercial side as well as the military side. So in 1984, as I mentioned, uh, we have our first sketch of the blend wing body, and um, that memo outlines some of the particular attributes that it might have for the military in particular uh, at that time. Um, increased cargo capacity, uh, more range, um, you know, better offload. So these things were forecasted a very long time ago. And um, shortly thereafter, uh, another friend of ours, um, Dennis Bushnell, launched uh, a working group to begin yeah, to... Chief, chief scientist at Langley, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, currently chief scientist at Langley. Um, when I met him, he was at the uh, vis viscous, uh, viscous flow branch. Uh, and, and in those days, we were studying a lot of uh, concepts that, that had significant amounts of drag reduction. So Dennis launched a working group uh, around this uh, finding from the NRC uh, it was a pretty prestigious group. Uh, a lot of the uh, giants in aerospace were involved in it, including Bob Liebeck. Uh, Bob and his colleagues at, at, at Douglas, McDonnell Douglas, picked up on this concept 
and started to do, do some uh, paper studies on uh, what it would look like, how much it might weigh, what, what the, um, you know, the Mach number should be. Uh, so they started doing the practical conceptual design pieces that we needed to uh, start to quantify, um, you know, some of the important parameters like, uh, you know, takeoff gross weight, um, uh, the drag associated with the airplane. Noise characteristics were also considered. Um, there were other concepts that it was compared to at the time. Uh, Dr. Finnegar's uh, uh, strut-braced wing was looked at and was in the mix in that group also evaluated uh, that concept. And in the end, what they did is they, they assessed them, they ranked them. And uh, in 1994, they recommended that we go forward with um, a research program around the blended wing body after doing all the puts and takes. And so, of course, yeah. of course, Mark, there's a whole lot more to say about what we did from there. Yeah, um, and, and I can go on, but I'll let you interject if you wanted to. Uh, so no, no I was, was going to say you, you. I know you had an you actually had an X plane to demonstrate the concept. Well, yeah, I mean uh, there was um, a uh, the X forty eight A, which uh, came first uh, as an X plane, and some work was done there. Um, I don't believe, if memory serves me correctly, we didn't get very far with that. Um, it was a short-lived program. I believe funding um, shortages were a problem. But what happened with all of that work is we were able to identify some long poles associated with uh, the blend wing body and what we needed to do to uh, enable it, you know, as a as a uh, real airplane at some point in the future. Flight controls, low-speed flight controls in particular were of interest. Um, that was identified as something we needed to continue to work on. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, another um, major uh, challenge was the uh, flat-sided pressure vessel um, inherent in a blending of the fuselage and the wing. And so we needed a, a manufacturing concept, essentially, to um, efficiently handle a flat-sided pressure vessel, which is much more mm -hmm. difficult to do than a traditional uh, tube style fuselage. So um, those were two major programs that we embarked on in the in the 2004 timeframe, yeah. along mm -hmm. with some high speed uh, wind tunnel testing of the configuration. So three sort of three focus areas um, that that we took on. So let's fast forward from 2004, um, and I know when. At the time, in the even the 2007-2008 time frame, there was a lot of discussion still about using blended wing bodies. We 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 had a, at least one one we had a number of discussions about maybe the next Air Force cargo airplane should be a blended wing body. We we you know the following to the C5 or the C17, and then that kind of went dormant, and now it's back. Yeah, and so 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 what 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 is it that that's gotten folks excited again about blended wing bodies? Well, again, um, yeah, and that's a good way to put it because it's it's come and gone over the years in terms of excitement level. Um, we had a con fairly consistent stretch of research that I'll say extended from 94 to 2016 or so. Um, a lot of times with technology like this that has an impact on fuel burn, um, you know, the U.S. has been blessed with uh, low gas prices for a very, very long time. And and recently, you know, that's changed. 
So uh, gas and fuel, I mean, uh, jet fuel is becoming more and more expensive. Um, the other thing is um, climate has become more of a focus in the U.S., sort of catching up with uh, uh, a similar focus in, in Europe that's been going on longer. And so uh, I think the, the sort of the combination of climate and carbon footprint focus and the cost of gas, frankly, um, has driven excitement in not only blended wing body, but other technologies as well that, that have an impact on drag and can serve to reduce uh, fuel burn and carbon footprint. Yeah. So I, I know the U.S. Air Force, for example, has a has a, an annual fuel bill that's, that's the largest in the government. It's between five and seven billion dollars a year, which is just a staggering number. Um, I used to yeah. point out it was, it, you know, it's, it was a, it's a lot. We spent a lot more money on jet fuel than we did, say, than than, than on S and T, for example. Um, and and imagine so, if yeah. you could suddenly wave a wand and and you know reduce that by twenty or thirty percent. Right. Yes. You know, absolutely. and you could you could divert those uh, those dollars to other things that that are important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to mention, you know, bringing it back to some of the operational advantages, uh, you know, more range, right. more so, cargo for a tank of gas. Yeah. yeah, right. So so the range would be increased by quite a bit. Um, the other uh, advantage of the blender wing body is it's volumetrically efficient. And so um, for the same airplane, basically, we can carry uh, more stuff. And because it's more efficient, we can carry that stuff further. And, um, you know, there's some debate about whether the um, airplane itself, the blend wing body itself, will weigh more or less than um, a conventional cargo carrier or tanker. But with the invention of the uh, material system that, that we researched at NASA called, um, it's basically a stitched resin infusion technique. If you add that into the mix, which is an enabler for blended wing bodies, we feel like the airplane is is not only as capable or more capable, but will also weigh less. And um, so it's a it's an exciting combination of aerodynamics and structural efficiency that and materials um, and, and and materials and, that that will enable you know missions that aren't aren't available to um, uh, commercial carriers as well as the military carriers. Right. So so. Step back, you know, like I, as you know, I, I spent most of my career in the in, in the high Mach range. Yes, where we have some of the same challenges. Where the, you know it kind of goes through cycles of enthusiasm and 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 being ignored, um, and then you always have the naysayers. Um, so uh, for blender wing bodies, what are some of the challenges, and what is what are some of the naysayers that you've had to 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 you know to 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 cont- contend with? Yeah, uh, you know that that's that's always there, as you know, and 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 so um, I'm going to talk more about sort of some of the um, uh, uh, things I hear from a commercial uh, passenger carrying perspective because that's where most of my focus has been. But you know, people worry about um, the interior of the blend wing body and whether or not you'll have a window. Um, and uh, this comes up every time I talk to somebody. I talk to a group. You know, what about that? I, I won't have a window. It's like sitting in a cavern. Cause, yeah, because you're sitting. Yeah, you're sitting in, in a large area. It's more of a stadium style. It might be more of a stadium yeah, style. Yeah. 
Yeah, widthwise. Um, yeah. So, so basically, uh, cabin mock-ups have been constructed, and and people have been brought into those mock-ups, um, and there are there's there's some evidence to support the fact that uh, once folks enter the cabin, find their seat, it, it's more like sitting in a living room uh, than in a cramped uh, space like like we feel like sometimes in tube and wings. So it actually has advantages to cabin comfort that um, I think once um, once people become familiar with it, um, they will agree that it's it's probably a better experience um, inside the cabin than it might be with with other configurations. But, and not to mention, I mean, right now you get on a commercial airplane and you're staring at a screen in the in, in the seat in front of you. So instead right. of a window, you give someone a screen. Yeah, you give them a screen, and so that gets uh, that sort of gets away from the from the window uh, argument. Um, I mean, you know, one could argue that there are other large airplanes that that also are fairly wide, and and yeah. not everybody has a window either. Um, so so anyway, that from a from a passenger point of view, that's one of the things that we get. Some of that's been worked out already. Mm-hmm. We feel like um, you know that there are advantages to to this wide. Uh, roomy uh, interior that would come with a lantern wing body because of its volumetric efficiency. So, I, I've also Go heard ahead. the concern. Yeah, you know, from a passenger standpoint, I've also heard the concern that you know, when the airplane turns, if it's a large interior in internal structure, you know, if you're sitting on if you're sitting on uh, near one wing and you look down and you see all the people next to the other, you know, at the at the at the tip of the other wing, way below you, I've heard that that criticism and that also seems to be a bit specious to me i think I yeah can solve that's, that that's that's the second one i was going to go to to yeah. mark and and basically what has happened there is you know people say well it looks like you're sitting in the wing well you're not really sitting in the wing there's a defined uh space for the passenger cabin it's um, um it's wider as we as we pointed out because of the nature of the design um the seat um locations have been studied and they've been compared to other large airplanes like the 747 and the worst seat on the 47 is uh, about the same as the worst seat on the blender wing body so there's essentially no no difference uh with the blender wing body as compared to airplanes of a similar size and passenger class and and having often flown in that very worst seat on the seven forty seven, well, that's right. That it's survivable. No, no, as yeah. government guys, uh, we always get the worst seat, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so in terms of cargo, now if we we think about it as a cargo plane. So yeah. you know, I've I've heard I've heard folks complain. Well, it would change the way you would handle cargo because you're no longer sliding something into a tube. You know, so but that that could be turned to an advantage, couldn't it? Well, uh, you know, the, the, I won't mention them, but cargo uh, carriers have studied the blend wing body. And um, uh, in some cases, um, it, the, the system as designed fits well with their mode of operation. In other cases, it's, um, there are some challenges and uh, some modifications would have to be made uh, f- for those cargo carriers that we've looked at there there's one all for it fits right in there's another that sees some operational challenges as far as passengers go though all of the designs that we've looked at 
fit right into the um, to the 80 meter box. They, they fit into the gate structure. Uh, so there are no compatibility issues with uh, on the passenger side. And as I mentioned on the cargo side, it's a mixed bag. So in some cases it works well. And in some cases, um, it, the, the operations would have to be a little different. But but generally speaking, I think uh, it, it it should be said that in all cases, the thing the thing that carriers and operators like is that you know twenty five fifteen to twenty five to thirty percent improvement in fuel burn. Yeah. So that's absolutely. that's going to be hard to beat um, with any other technology. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I'd, I'd like to switch gears a little bit because you know at the beginning yeah. of the program I mentioned this this great relationship between NASA Aeronautics and the Air Force. Um, I, I think it's one of the great untold stories that the American taxpayer should know about. That you've got two 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 agencies in the federal government that are are leveraging their resources together. Could could you tell us a little bit about that relationship and how your work at NASA interfaces with with the Air Force? Yeah, I can. And, you know, we, we recognized um, probably in the 2005 or 2006 timeframe that there were there were some issues uh, in, you know, in, in the interactions between the two agencies. And uh, there were a handful of us that uh, decided just to take those on, those issues on. And a lot of it had to do with uh, communications and you know, stepping on each other's toes and not not um, understanding what we were doing, and you know that you know things, investments we were making, things we could do to leverage each other's research, and so a number of things were done. Um, you know, you mentioned a working group uh, or a steering committee. Um, several of us got involved in that. Um, I was one of them, and and Rich Wellsian was another. Um, Rich Walls is now taking that that uh, leadership role for, for NASA on that working group. But the, the point is, is, is on both sides, we recognized the challenges and we, we stepped forward and said, let's, let's start working that out so the communication is better. Uh, the, the overlap uh, was reduced in terms of the work we were doing, the sharing of results increased, um, and the collaboration has just uh, blossomed over the last uh, 15 years um, through that constant interaction. Um, and so, uh, just just to talk more personally about it, you know, when this when this effort came along, um, and, it, and it's kind of been in the in the making for four or five years. So, um, Mr. Guerrero, who's sort of the, the the champion of the effort in operational energy in, in the, the Air Force, Pentagon, yeah. And and his his um, uh, support person Dan Pike reached out to NASA and started talking to us about, you know, what's the state of blended wing body research? Is that a viable platform? Um, how are you guys doing in terms of maturing the technology? And they were doing a whole lot of homework by interfacing with us and and getting those lessons on paper, and then began the very difficult work of selling. The, the program and, and selling in quotes, right? It's advo- it's advocacy. Yes. Right. Um, advocacy for the for the project that, that we're now working. And once it became apparent that that was going to be a project, um, I was asked to to join in and, and and help them out as a as a subject matter expert. And they've included me in many, many interactions um, as the advocacy continues. 
And so for me, it's a dream come true. I mean, it's uh, something I've worked on since 2005. And, um, uh, you know, I couldn't ask for a better assignment right now. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that sounds, that's, that, that, that's a great story, as I said. And, you know, I, I, I would always point to the fact that when NASA was first stood up, uh, you know, Nat, in, in part, support to national security was was in its was in its mission, and there has been that rich history of interaction between the Department of Defense and NASA. Uh, you know, the first astronauts flew on 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 uh, uh, DoD missiles. Um, many of the astronauts themselves came out of the DoD, but the relationship is even deeper than that. And 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 this is a this is a perfect example of of leveraging the the, the best technical abilities of 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 the of the department of of the agency um for the benefit of national security and the taxpayer so i said yeah i agree it's a really great story i agree and the nice thing about this this project is um you know the the language that that came with the funding and and the project itself seeks to and and i'll i'll botch this up a little bit so it's not an exact quote but it seeks to stimulate the broad adoption of the blended wing body technology in the commercial sector as well as the military sector. So it is that once and for all push to uh, build a demonstrator and prove once and for all that aerodynamic efficiency that all these various customers are clamoring for. Yeah. And of course, it builds on that rich history of sharing technology between the military and the civilian sector in, in, in aerospace. Um, so again, exactly, Dr. Faye Collier, I, our, our time is up, but with so many of these podcasts, I, I could, I, I have so many more questions and so many more topics, but unfortunately time does not allow for that. But thank you so much first for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for what you're doing on behalf of the nation and especially your, your support for this important mission for the department of defense. Um, again, it's, it's a, it's a great technical story. It's a great government story. It's a great personal story. So we appreciate all that you've done. Thank you, Mark. It was a real pleasure being here today.